Okay. This morning, I'm just going to share, uh, again, the thoughts that God gave me. Now, you know, all through the Psalms, all, all through the Psalms, it talks about the, the believers at times in their life, they're being overwhelmed. We just get overwhelmed with certain things. And sometimes this can happen consciously or the enemy tries to work very subtly in, in almost in a way, it's like it's almost unconscious. It's not yet made to be self-conscious. But that's where all these thoughts can come in. What's going on in my life? What's going on in other people's lives? The state, the condition, the state and condition of the church. What's going on in individuals' lives? And when we, in our own circumstances and situations, and those of others, those that we love deeply, those that we care about, all of these particular things, they begin they can have an overwhelming effect on us. Now, not that I was thinking heavily on these things, but I experienced all these things trying to come in on me. And I was in the kitchen, and I just looked out. And it was this thought that God gave me, and then the beautiful counsel and correlation of the scriptures he brought into my mind. He said, look out. Do you see the sun? I say, yes. It's still shining, isn't it? Yes. And you know why? Why? Because I'm faithful and I am in control. And I am in control of you. I have won control over you through me giving my precious son to you. And in him and his authority of love, which we exchanged in John 1, 1, which he came out of, and we'll see this this morning in John 1 and verse 14. He's in absolute control. He's in absolute control. He's in control, and this is what he was saying to me, I'm in control of you in the night seasons. I'm, I, no matter what they are, I am in control still, because even when you don't at night see the sun shining, it's still there, without any question about it. If it wasn't, even in the natural sense, you would freeze to death if it even still wasn't there. And so he began to bring in so many scriptures with this. He's in absolute control. Was he in control when he initiated every single thing to Job? When he initiated the enemy was he in absolute control? And did the enemy, under the control and the authority of God's love and wisdom, was Satan only allowed to do what God would allow him to do in his love and wisdom? And what's the answer? The whole time that every single thing, some believe that the whole book of Job and every single thing that he went through was nine months. How many, how many of us understand that whole time was God in control, even controlling the enemy? Because in Genesis 50, verse 20, what they meant for evil, 
God meant for the manifestation of his good. I thought about that. Then I thought about how many times. I thought about one of the toughest times that I, that, that I was in, and it felt like one of the loneliest times when I was in South Africa. And that was a very intense time in my life. Very, and, and the life of another loved one that was with me. And it was a very, very intense time. And I was in a little shack. And, and when I say shack, I mean it, on a little shack on a beach. And it was dark. It was very dark. And I was overwhelmed at that time. And it was night. And then I went out and I looked up. And I got to tell you, I've never seen the stars more brightly shining and more, more than you could even count. I looked up and saw those stars and you know what they teach us? The sun, the moon, and the stars is that God Almighty is in control of them. And he's revealing those, those through that creation, he is revealing to you and I that he's in absolute control of you and I. He's in absolute control, period. I looked out this morning and I went, oh my God, you know. Because then the enemy with, this, with these thoughts is, and we know that he's, he's the prince and power of the air for now, through God allowing it in Ephesians 2, 2, in John 12, 31, and in John 14, 30, He's the prince of this earth, and he has nothing in Jesus. What does that mean to us? He's not in control of us. He only tries to do the enemy through a lie. Jesus Christ himself is in control of us. He has won us. We are his. We're not our own. In 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. And within us dwells God the Holy Spirit. In 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 16, we are his. I looked out, and as the enemy was trying to surround my thinking with the fact of this world system right now, remember also, in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, Satan is the God of this world. That means the lies against the truth of Christ. To get our experience through a lie, to think that, that now that's in control of us? No, no. He's the God. That's in the religious sense. We know that God is not a God of religion. He's a God of intimate relationship and an exchange of a love life that when we're occupied with him and not our circumstances and situations or people or anything else, we experience that absolute control. And when I begin to function in love, then I see things clearly and I have absolute wisdom and all I have to do is ask. If I don't have any, if understanding, when do we need wisdom? Well, you look at James chapter one and verses one through five. We need wisdom in the midst of these trials so that we understand them properly because even those are teaching us he's in control. Now, then I... Then he brought me to the scriptures this morning and I just took out my little green Bible and I just was led by the Holy Spirit and all of these scriptures to bring these, that God wanted to bring these 
truths out to me personally, and he wants to do that with all of us, even now. Psalm 19, verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God. Oh, he's in control. And the firmament shows forth his handiwork. Day unto day utters speech. Night unto night. Night unto night manifests and reveals the knowledge of God himself. You know, we look out, and even in this ruined world system that we're living in right now, even in it, do we still see his sun? Do we still see his moon? Do we see his stars at night? Is there still remnants of the signature of his beauty through the trees and through, the, through flowers and through all kinds of beauty? Yes, we do. So many testimonies we have. There is no speech in verse 3 of Psalm 19. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. God is speaking to us, and especially us that are his. Even when it's not, the, even when it's not when we don't go to the scriptures, you just look up. And he's in control. He hasn't removed the sun. Hasn't removed the moon or the stars. No. No, it says that their line, line that means their rule, their specific direction and teaching is gone out through all the earth. And maybe the whole, those that are under Satan, to whom the gospel is hid, and they're lost in 2 Corinthians 4, 3. They're lost. And what does it mean to them in their everyday life? So what if the sun's out? So what if it keeps us warm? So what if the, the moon is there in control of the tides of the ocean? So what? And the stars, so what? And what do they mean? But what do they mean to us? Well, their teaching, their line, their rule. And God is ruling, meaning he's in control. This is what Psalm 19, verse 4 is teaching us. Is gone out throughout all the earth. And of all the people that should be aware of this are those that are his. Because this is talking about his creation. And we see that in Genesis chapter 1, verses 3 to 31. What should it teach us that are his? Well, in them he set, in them, and their, and their words, it says, to the end of the world. In them, in them he set a tabernacle for the sun. There's this teaching. It's teaching this, beautiful. Now, which is as a bridegroom. What do you think this is talking about? We shared this recently, too. As a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, the sun coming out. Remember in John 1 and verse 1 in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and this beautiful exchange that nothing could disturb or distract. And the word was God and the same in the beginning throughout all eternity in John 1, 2 was the word, but yet he came out of his chamber 
In John 1 and verse 14, the Word was made flesh. Oh yes, he's in control. The Word was made flesh, and oh, he dwelt among us, just like us. He didn't have a sin nature, but he had a human nature. He knew what it was to be tired, to be fatigued, to be hated, to be misunderstood, to be forsaken. Oh, thank God. Psalm 27 and verse 10. When my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will take me up. Why? Because he's still in control. When others can't even function, and even at best, your mom and your dad, when they can't function properly, and they can't in the natural, then the Lord will take you up. Until he and his desire is to get them right into a place of his control. And that's what he's doing. That's what he's doing. He, he, he wants to bring us all to that particular place. And so here again, it's in Psalm 19 and verse 5, which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber. What was that chamber? That was that love life that nothing could disturb or distract. And then he rejoices as a strong man. And that's what John 1.14 is teaching us. In John 1.14, the word was made flesh and he dwelt among us. But we beheld his glory. The glory is the only begotten one. And he was filled up with all the grace and truth that we will ever need. Oh, his creation, the sun, the moon, and the stars. And many believe that there's a language and a sound that even these stars make. And they glorify him in their place. But oh, how much of a language, a greater language and an intimacy that we have that no other creation, listen, no other angel ever has and will have, but we do. Because he came out of his chamber and he was rejoicing. No wonder it says in Philippians 4.4, I am telling you, rejoice. And again, I say rejoice. Why? Because in Philippians 4.5, the Lord is at hand. He's in control. Do you need grace? Do you need truth? Here it is. Well, he rejoices as a strong man to run a race. Oh, this is Hebrews 12, 1, 2, and 3. We're running a race, and we don't do it without him. He's our strength. He's our strength. He is our strength. And this is the truth of the matter. He is our strength, and this is why it says even in Psalm 68, 28, it says, your God has commanded your strength. Strengthen, O God, that which you have wrought for us, meaning that which you have finished for us, that which you have completed for us, you will strengthen us, and you will, because you're faithful. In Revelation 21 and verse 5, and in Revelations 22 and verse 6, you're faithful. Well, verse 6 of Psalm 19, his going forth is from the end of heaven, meaning he's always been, always. And his circuit, we know his circuit, the earth is round long before in 1492 when Columbus sailed the ocean blue and believed and found out that it was round. It was recorded in Isaiah 40 and verse 22. 
that it was round and that it is in control. What keeps the earth where it is? In the midst of space? What holds it there? Why is it tilted on its five-degree axis? Why is it? Because he's in control. That's why the earth will never end and never be done away with, won't just disappear and not exist. In Ecclesiastes 1 and verse 4, and Isaiah 45 and verse 17, and in Ephesians 1 and verse 21, this earth will remain because it's the place where God right now is manifesting his complete control. And all we have to do is look up. We don't have to look down and get depressed and get oppressed. We don't have to. Because our expectation in Psalm 62 verse 5 is from the Lord. And we have the ability to trust in him at all times in Psalm 62 and verse 8 and to pour out our hearts to him, not to others, but to him. And when we do, we don't, we're not depressed, we're not down, we're not oppressed in Psalm 62 and verse 10. Well, his going forth is from the end of heaven, his circuit unto the ends of it. And there is nothing hid from the heat thereof. My God will supply all your need in Philippians 4 and verse 19. According to the riches and glory that you can't even, and I can't even number, by Christ Jesus, and that's why. The answer to I can't do it is Philippians 4 and verse 13. I can do all things through Christ, who is my strength, we read in Psalm 68, 28. Who is my all in Colossians 3 and verse 11. He is, he is my all. And nothing is hid from the heat thereof. Now it says not the law like the Ten Commandments, but the doctrine and teaching of the Lord himself is complete. Converting the soul. Converting there means we need to be renewed again so that we stop living in self-consciousness and allowing that to be the control and dominating factor in our lives. Renewing the soul. Ephesians 4 and verse 23. The testimony of the Lord is sure and certain and immovable, just like his creation. You know, not a sparrow falls without his control. Not one little sparrow. You can see it in Luke 12, 28. Matthew, I think it's 12, 28. And it's also, again, recorded in Luke, not one sparrow falls to the ground without his control. The test, because the testimony, the witness and testimony of the Lord is sure. It makes wise those that, are, that simply trust in him for everything and trust in his word. And then sometimes when we lose the trust in the word, we can just look up and watch and look at his signature of his creation. Well, it can it renews the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure. It makes wise the simple. The statutes and all those things that have to do with the word are right. Rejoicing the heart. 
The commandment of the Lord is pure. It lights us up. It lights us up in Psalm 34 and verse 5. It brings us, it brings in energy and lights us up, our proper eyesight. And that's why we're in Hebrews 12 and verse 2. We're to look away from all that would distract us to Jesus. He is the author. He is the author, the file leader. He's our beginning and he's our eternal end. He's our eternal beginning and our eternal end to be with him forever. Yes. Verse 9, the reverential awe, instead of being depressed and downtrodden, the reverential awe and superiority and glory and beauty of the Lord is clean. Now I have clean thoughts. Enduring what? Forever. Matthew 24 and verse 35, Isaiah 40, verse 8. Heaven and earth will change its appearance, but my word will never pass away. Never. More, their true, their truth, it says, their truth and righteous altogether without change. More to be desired are they than gold. Yea, than much fine gold. Oh, they're sweeter than honey. And all that, that even drips from the honeycomb. Moreover, by them, your servant is warned. You have an enemy, the adversary. He wants to swallow you and I up with his lies, with thought projections to cause us to be oppressed. In Psalm 62, in verse 10, wants to cause us to be overwhelmed overwhelmed, you see. He does care for you. In 1 Peter 5 and verse 7. Oh, he does care for you. But lying anxious thoughts try to tell you otherwise. He is in control. His care for you is in control. But you have an adversary, the devil. He walks about seeking whom he may slaughter, rip to shreds and devour. Yes, follow it through. Follow how it works in 1 Peter 5, 6 to 10. See how it works in Job 23 and verse 10 and in 1 Peter 1, verse 7 to make a proper declaration in verse 8. Though having not seen him, we still love him. We still believe his control for us. Well, moreover by them your servant is warned and in keeping of them, oh, such great reward. Because everything else is going to change. All the gold and silver, all of it that has to do with this earth is going to, be, is going to melt and, and be done away with. This is Second Peter 3, 10 to 13. Brings it out clearly. Brings it out clearly. There's going to be a new heavens and a new earth. He's going to consume it by fire, we see. The way things are right now, they're on their way to pass away. We see it. Again, in Isaiah 65 and verse 17, in Isaiah 66 and verse 22, with 2 Peter uh, 3, 10 to 13. It's going to change, but not his word. Oh no, there's something purer. Something purer. Well, who can understand his errors? What are those? The lying thoughts of the enemy. Who can understand his errors? You know what? Cleanse me from these secret, this secret lying counsel. 
Keep your servant also from presumption to think that God isn't in control. To think that you have to be. To think that you have to change things because you don't like the way that they are. And then you seek to shift the blame on everybody else. You want to shift the blame. Well, fact of the matter is, keep back, your, keep back these presumptuous lying thoughts that lead to sin. Let them not have dominion over me. Because let not them have what? Control over me. Don't give up the authority of his love and control over you through a lie. Now your feelings become those things that are in control. Well, if you and I have bad feelings and bad emotions, it's because we're, we're thinking and initi- the initiation of the enemy through lying thoughts and projections in 2 Corinthians 10, verses 4 and 5. Well... Then I will be upright in my right image, in my right place before you, in Romans 5, 1 and 2. I will be upright in my relationship, facing you. I don't have to face trials. I don't have to face one thing without you with me. Then will I be upright. And I will be innocent, kept from the great transgression, I will be kept from that great transgression. Why? Because Christ is my rock in Matthew 16 and verse 18. He's my rock in 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 4. He's my foundation. And I'm not going to build my life and allow my thought life to be built by shifting sand, bad emotions through bad thoughts in Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 to 27. That was not going to happen. No. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. You know why? Because I am not going to claim anything other than Christ in me who's made me to be accepted. God has made me to be accepted in the Son of His love in Ephesians 1, 6 and Colossians 1 and verse 13. Be acceptable in your sight because what is His sight of us Isn't it Christ, his love that's won control over us? Well, let it be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my constant redeemer. Well, we see it here again. We see it here in Psalm the 8th chapter. In Psalm 8, O Lord, listen to this, O Lord, you're my Lord. You're my master. You're the one who's in control. Oh, Lord, our Lord, oh, how excelling is your nature and what you've accomplished through Christ, manifested through that creation in all the earth, who has set your glory above the heavens. Did you know that there's the glory of the sun and the moon of the stars? We saw it in Psalm 19, 1 to 6, that expresses his glory but you, you and I are going to see something, and we'll see it soon in the, next, in the next few minutes. You have set your glory above the heavens. Well, isn't that Jesus Christ himself? 
who's above all his creation, and are not you and I in him, and he in us? Out of the mouth of babes, oh, how we have to be reminded sometimes. Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings, he ordained strength. He found strength in them. How does a babe support itself? When it cries for its need to be met, has he found strength in them? Hasn't he ordained it? And he has. Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings, have you ordained strength? You know, sometimes just a little baby, a little smile can change our whole thought life. Just a smile of these little ones. And he's ordained strength because we have, we have enemies. But greater is he, in 1 John 4, verse 4, than he that's in the world with his innumerable enemy that comes against, his enemies that comes against us. And this is the victory. This is ours in Christ who's in control. In 1 John 5, 4, this is the victory that's, over, even, that's overcome the world already, even our faith, even our complete dependence in his control over us. Well, that you might still the enemy and the avenger through his lying thoughts. When I consider the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set and put them in an ordained and in control place which you have ordained, all I have to say, well, what is man? What is man? What is man that you are mindful of him? I'm going to tell you how mindful he is of us. Boy, I'll tell you. Because Jesus Christ, in the eternal mind of God, before any angel, before any creation was ever created, Jesus Christ, in Revelations 13, verse 8, he was the lamb slain before he ever even created the earth. Before anything was ever created. Before an angel. Before a third fell. In Revelations 12, 4, innumerable amount of angels. In Ezekiel 28, the 28th chapter, before that happened, before Adam ever fell, fell, before you and I ever had to go through a single thing, we never did it without him because he was the lamb slain from the foundation of the earth and the works were finished in Hebrews 4 and verse 3 before the foundation of the earth. So what is man that you are mindful of him? I'll tell you, because man in Jesus Christ is the height of his glory in creation. And that's you and I. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. Ephesians 2, 8. You are saved and kept by grace. 1 Peter 1, 5. You are saved by grace and that's through faith, dependence. And even that is not a cause of yourself, but it's a gift of God. It does away with all boasting, lest anyone should boast, for we are his workmanship, greater than any moon, stars, Son, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. And all these works were ordained for God to manifest it through us in time. In Ephesians 2 and verse 10. Well, what is man that you're mindful of him? And the son of man that you visit him. 
For you have made him a little lower than the angels. You, you may think that this is just talking about fallen mankind. I'm going to tell you who it's talking about long before this. Long before Adam. We know that in Genesis chapter 1 in verse 28. Genesis 1 in verse 28. God created Adam to have dominion over the earth, to have control, and he lost it. But who gave it back? Who's won that dominion for us? Is that a fact? Or is something on this earth or my trial or my circumstance moving me from that reality? Something robbing me of that joy that's mine in, in Romans 5 and verse 11 and Philippians 4 and verse 8? Well, you made him a little lower than the angels and has crowned him with glory and honor. You made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You, you have put all things under his feet. What is this teaching us? This is what it's teaching us in Hebrews, the second chapter. Here it is in Hebrews chapter two. Well, we're going to see what this is teaching us, even in, in Psalm and verse eight, from God's eternal viewpoint. Well, we see here in Hebrews chapter two. Well, but one, in verse 6, but one in a certain place testified, what is man that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man that you visit him? You made him a little lower than the angels for a time. You crowned him with glory and honor and did set him over all the works of your hand. You have put all things in subjection under his feet. By the way, You'll see that again in Ephesians 1 because he's head in verse 22 of Ephesians 1 and where his feet he has dominion in verse 23. But here in Hebrews 2.8 you put all things in subjection, in subjection under his feet for in that he put all in subjection unto him he left nothing that is not put under him in his control. But now we see not yet all things put unto him but oh, in verse 9, but do we see Jesus? Do we look away from all the distractions in Hebrews 12 to unto him? But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, not for the suffering, but by the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of Almighty God, should taste death, separation from God. And he's tasted it for us. So would we allow anything to separate us from that reality? For every man, for it became him, for whom are all things. He created everything in John 1, 3, in Colossians 1, and verse 16. For whom are all things, and by whom are all things, and bringing many sons unto glory. You'll see that in Revelations 8, in, in, in Romans 8 and verse 18, and you will see how we'll walk with him in white and be glorified, and you'll see that in Revelations chapter 3 and verses 4 and 5. And bringing many sons unto glory to make the captain, the leader of their salvation complete through sufferings for both he that sanctifies, sets us apart to the glory and honor of Christ glorified in us in Colossians 1.27. 
are all of one, for which cause he's not ashamed to call them brethren. Has anything come into our life to cause us shame? Oh, we can confess it in 1 John 1, 9. We don't have to be busy about blaming others, hiding and being dishonest. How about 1 John 3, 18? Love not in word or in tongue, but how about deed and in truth? How about that? How about walking like all of us? We should, and, and we all fail, but thank God he's re- waiting to be gracious in Isaiah 30 and verse 18, not to give us grace to live in sin. You know, God would never lead us. To, God doesn't lead us. Oh, I pray to God, and this is how he's, he would never, he would never allow you to give you grace to go back to the natural. That would never happen. That would be sin. To rely on anything other than Christ is what? Is sin. He would never give me grace to live in sin, even if that's my confession. That's Romans 6, 1. That's Romans 6, 15. That's Romans 3, verse 8. Should I do evil that good may abound? Never. Never, never, never. He's not ashamed to call us brethren, saying, I will declare your name, your glory, your glorified nature and character unto my brethren. And we'll do that together. You will see that. Where Christ, who is all in all right now in Colossians 3.11, there's a time when he will with us, be one with us as his head, as our head and his his body. Well, now his father on this earth for all eternity in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 28, that God himself will be all in all. That God himself will be all in all. Saying, I will declare your nature, your glory, your character unto my brethren in the midst of the church. Remember, we're the church. Church isn't a building. In the midst of the church will I sing praise unto you. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children which God has given me. Notice that. Notice that, you know, we are, and I'm going to close it with this, we are, and we, we will see this. This is what Jesus said, and we're going to see how these scriptures make sense. We're going to see how they are. We'll see this in John, the ninth chapter. John chapter 9, we can see it here. In John, verse nine, verse, in John 9, verse 4, it says, I must work the works of him that sent me. While it is day, the night comes when no man can work. Now, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. How is the, the light of the world right now? In his physical absence. And this is where it is. And this is what we are. In the night of his absence, this is exactly who all of us are and what he's made us to be. And he's making it clear again. You see it here. In the 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians, we see it very clear. In verse 40, it says, There are celestial bodies, heavenly, and there are bodies terrestrial, earth, and and having to do with that. But the glory of the celestial is one, and the glory of the terrestrial is another. Listen to what it says in verse 41. There is one glory of the sun, 
and another glory of the moon, and here we are, and another glory of the stars. And that's who we are. We're his little stars that shine in the night of his absence. We're his little stars. For one star differs from another star in glory, not in terms of competition, not in terms of comparison in 2 Corinthians 12, 7, 12, uh, verse, uh, 10, verse 12, 2 Corinthians 10, verse 12, but, but, but again, not in comparison, one star different in another, but only each of us can bring out that glory that Christ is in us like only he's made us to be as individuals. We're, we're his stars, his witness, while he, his absence. So also is the rex, resurrection of the dead. That's who we are. It is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, and we're weak. Oh, but it's raised in power. It is sown a natural body. Oh, but it's raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body, and there's a spiritual body. And so it is written, the first Adam was made a living soul and lost all his dominion, but there was one that was created in the mind of the, who was the lamb long before he ever lost his dominion. He was made a living soul. The last Adam, our precious Savior, Jesus Christ, was made a life-giving, a life-giving, imputing life and an imparting life through the word spirit. Howbeit that which was, which was first is not spiritual. Oh, a lot of times our first thoughts are natural Go back to the natural when I don't want when I don't want the rough road. When I don't want that, then I leave the spiritual road and I go back to the natural. I go back and I begin to rely on the natural in myself and the natural in others and call it God leading me. Never. Never. And we've all gone down that road. But there's a specific in the words this morning. Howbeit that which was first is not spiritual, but that which is natural. Then after that which is spiritual. And there's where if we don't look to Jesus, if we don't, we disregard his word and then disregard the signature of his creation with the sun, the moon, and the stars, there's no separating from self-conscious living in Hebrews 4 and verse 12. When I don't want that separation, I'll leave the spiritual path. The word, of the, the word of the Lord that Christ is, the word of the Lord is what? What is it? In Hebrews 4 and verse 12. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. If I don't like being separated from self-conscious living, into reliant, submitted, conscious living in Christ, what am I going to do? I'm certainly not going to show up where it's being revealed. I'm certainly not going to do that. Well, Hebrews 4.12, the word of the Lord is living. It's a life-giving force and power and sharper than any two-edged sword. Piercing! Oh, how we don't like the piercing. Piercing. 
Remember what Paul, he got pierced. He was piercing others until he got pierced by Christ. And we see that in Acts, the ninth chapter, in those first six verses. The word of God comes in and it pierces us. It's very sharp and guiding us into the right way. And like Paul, many of us in the flesh that are already his, we kick against the, we kick against the word that pierces us. We kick against it. When you, you and I don't want the light of who Christ is in us, we don't want that. Listen, we want darkness and we're going to hide in it. That's brought out in John 3, 17 to 22. Brought out very clearly. Christians can begin to love darkness again and not light. Well, we see it here. The first man is of the earth, earthy. You see that again. You'll see it in, in, in John and James chapter 3. You'll see that in verses 12 to 17. Wisdom. There's an earthy wisdom. There's a heavenly wisdom. Two seek control. Only one has it through proper authority. But one seeks, one seeks to usurp the true authority and control of God in our lives. As we close this here, the first man is of the earth, earthy. He loves everything about the earth. Everything about his life is horizontal. It's not vertical. He's not looking for Christ to come back. She's not looking for Christ to come back. They're looking for a place on this earth. It's called ease and comfort, not the way of the cross, not the rough road of suffering that leads to glory. No, the ease and comfort and supply. And if I can't supply it for myself, I'll look for it in someone else. It's time for our children to grow up to know what it's like to live on their own and be responsible and accountable. We as his children constantly need to know that because we're all children of God by faith, dependence in Christ Jesus in Galatians 3 and verse 26. But as the, in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, as is the earthy, such are also they, they that are earthy. And such is the heavenly, such are they that are heavenly. And as we have borne the image, image, proper image, of the earthy, we will also bear the image of the heavenly. Now I say, brethren, that flesh and blood can inherit the kingdom of God. This is even now presently in our experience, by the way. Neither does corruption. Oh, let no corrupt communication, thought life, proceed out of your mouth. Blame game except that which is good. This is Ephesians 4 and verse 29, which is good to the, to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers and stop grieving the Holy Spirit from revealing your proper image through Christ. Well, as we have borne the image, we'll also borne the image of the heavenly. Flesh and blood can inherit the rule of God experientially, flesh and blood. Behold, I show unto you something that's being brought out. wasn't mysterious and unknowable, but it's being brought out. We will not all, uh, we won't all, our bodies go into the ground, by the way. Sleep there means the body, 
we goes to the dust in Genesis 3 and verse 19, spirit and soul in Ecclesiastes 12, 6 and 7, return to God who gave it. We won't, but we will all be changed in a moment. Boy, our life can change in a moment. We can be absent from the body and present with the Lord in 2 Corinthians 5, 8. In one moment, it can happen and be with him face to face, 1 Corinthians 13, 12. In a moment, 11100s to 11100s to 11400s, quicker than to blink your eyes or snap your fingers, at last the trump will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we will all be changed. For this corruption, this, this immortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible will have put on incorruption and this mortal will have put on immortality, then will be brought to pass the saying that death, death here is swallowed up in victory. He's quoting Isaiah 25 and verse 8. Death will be swallowed up in victory. Do we have that already? Are we already in Romans 8, 37, more than conquerors? Again, brought out in 1 John 5 and verse 4. Death is swallowed up in victory. O oh, death, where is your sting? O oh, grave, Sheol, O oh, grave, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin. The strength of sin is the law, the law of sin and death. That's just not the Ten Commandments. It just brings out that reality. We see that in Romans 8, 2 and 3. But thanks be to God. That's our proper, that's our proper relationship. It's being thankful. If we're not, it's something that we're complaining about ourselves. Something that's in us that we consider to be greater than Christ himself. And it wears us down and we sing the woe is me song and not the worthy is the lamb song. Revelations 5, 9 through 12. Well, but thanks be unto God, which has already given us the victory through Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved, be steadfast especially men. When the going gets tough, what, is the, what do the wimps do? They get going, they leave. No, when the going gets tough, when they receive strength, the tough keep going. They don't wimp out. Subtle little plans. And even the subtle plans that aren't revealed, it's just absolute dishonesty. It is. It's absolute dishonesty. That's what it is. Therefore, my beloved, be you steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. What's that? That's Philippians 2, 12 and 13. Work out your own salvation with a reverence and trembling, for it is God which works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Then you will do all things without murmuring and disputing, complaining. Oh, it's so hard. Whew. We've all had those. I had mine a few days ago. I'm not bragging about it either. It's, 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 it is what it is. Yeah, it's, and I'll tell you what it is. And that, that's a shameful experience. It's not a right one. Therefore, my beloved, 
Brethren, be steadfast, be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know that your labor in the Lord is not empty, it's given a great reward. And then finally, we're going to turn here and we're going to end it here in Revelation 21. In Revelation chapter 21. Revelation 21. This is what it says. You should read that whole chapter, by the way, starting in the, in the first verse, but we're going to go right here. In verse 22 of Revelation 21, and it says, I saw no temple there. I saw no temple, because all the temple, the tabernacle, the temple, Christ himself tabernacling himself in, in, in humanity, impeccable humanity in John 1.14, was always revealing this truth. For there is no place, no temple there. For the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. The place of proper worship. Boy, when I don't worship Christ, I'll worship my own temple. That fragile clay jar in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7. I'll make more of the fragile clay jar than I will the treasure inside. I'll take my eyes off the treasure of Christ and then I'll look to, the, to, look to my weak, frail body. Well, and the city, the city had no need of the sun. Listen to this. Not that it's not going to be, be there, but they didn't have a need for it. Nor of the moon to shine in it. Because there was a glory that was way above it. For the glory of the Lord did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. The Lamb is the light thereof. And you know what? Know what? There's not going to be, there'll never be there in his presence ever again a night. There'll be no more night there. No, there'll be no more night. In verse 24, the nations of them that are saved will walk in the light of it. That means the manifested of light, the light of Christ in us, himself and in us through us, ruling and reigning over them. They're going to walk in that light, that intimate light that we have as his, his bride. His, as his church. We're gonna walk, they're going to walk in that. And the kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor unto it. And the gates of it will not be shut at all by day. And here we go. For there will be no night there. Never again absent from his presence. Never again. Never, never, never. Again, and Father, we thank you for this beautiful reality. In Jesus' name, thank you, Lord. Amen.